0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark, and I've had the privilege of being the pastor here for about 13 years or so, and uh, it's my privilege to fill this pulpit on most Sundays. Welcome to our service today. Those of you that are watching on the Internet, we welcome you uh, as well. We're glad you're there, and we'd even be more glad if you would be here. So I would love for you to be able to come into our sanctuary whenever you can and uh, visit us uh, then as well. I want to remind you that tonight... Uh, At 4.30 we're going to have a uh, a gathering for the kids that are going to Tampa for the Nazarene Youth Conference and we'll have a pie auction 4.30 there's pizza and at 5 o'clock we'll start auctioning off some baked goods and so uh, we'd love for you to be there for the pizza and for the auction and to bid unbelievably sinfully high for all that stuff and uh that money will go for uh to the kids it's about two thousand dollars per child uh to go and the church is paying for um a fourth and the parents are paying for a fourth the kid is uh in ch- charge of, of trying to come up with a fourth himself and then trying to through fundraising events like we're having try to be able to come with a fourth of that so thank you for your help if you're not able to be there tonight a couple of people have told me that that they aren't able to be there tonight um, and they've just given some money for that. That's appreciated as well. Um, uh, some of you, uh, I don't see Pastor John here. Some of you have seen him this morning. He's got this big patch over his eye. He was doing a good deed this weekend, and uh, uh, a stick went in his eye. And so the doctor says you have a hole in your eye. And the. Um, good news about that is the eye regenerates itself faster than any other part of the body does and so he's got a big patch over this eye and it's kind of hard to open this eye and so he's going to be struggling for the next week or so so as God brings that uh, to your mind would you please uh, pray for him and that that he'll get full recovery from um, uh, that eye that would be great okay all right We are in a series of messages and uh, this is our third week I think in this series of messages and it's uh, called It's All in Your Head. Uh, Any of us that have lived um, very long at all in this life know the truth of that, that it's all in our head. Uh, No matter what happens to us in life and no matter how much difficulties that we may go through in life, the way we respond to those difficulties is all in our head. And some people respond really well to things, and some people don't. And that's because of decisions that people have made in their life. And the Bible says that the Christian life is all, um, uh, all in our heads as well. Uh, there's a lot in this book about behavior, but the Bible uh, says that uh, the behavior starts first in the brain. And it's about the way that we think our 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 tagline for this uh message is for this series is romans 12 2 that says do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world which means we as christians are non-conformist we don't go along with the crowd we don't go along with the way of the world do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world uh the bible um Uh, Says that the the world is not right. There's a broad way that a lot of people are on, and the Bible said it's wrong. And says narrow is the way, and few that will be that will find it. So do not conform to the way of the world, but be transformed. And the way that we are transformed, Paul writes, that it's not by going to church, although that's a great thing. It's uh, it's not by trying to grit our teeth and behave better. It's through the renewing of our mind. And as our mind changes, then we change as Christians. An old preacher one time told me you got to take out the stinking thinking and put in godly thinking. And that's, that's a pretty good paraphrase of what the Apostle Paul says, by the renewing transformed, by the renewing of our mind. And over and over and over through, through God's Word, we have this thing about the absolute priority of how we think. And how we think is how we're changed uh, as Christians. So, this is a third message on that, and we're gonna go, I don't know how long that we'll end up going on this, but today I wanna talk about some of that battle that's in your mind. There is a battle between God's truth and the lies of the devil. And we've, we've said that. We've said that the devil lies to us, he tempts us, and there's a battle that's going on there. Will I believe God or not? And, and part of that battle that we face is a battle of doubt, is a battle of doubt, and one of the, the uh, strategies, one of the schemes, the Bible says, of the evil one is to be able to cast doubt into our minds. Now, let me, let me talk to you a little bit about doubt. Um, the Bible says some negative things about doubt, and I, I think it's important that the Bible also, while not explicitly, it shows you there's kind of two kinds of doubt. And for lack of a better word, let me, let me use these words. There's believing doubt and there's unbelieving doubt. Okay? Now, this is really important distinction to be able to make. Between believing doubt, uh, the doubt of a believer who can't figure something out and, God, I don't know if I... I I, I can't understand that. I can't get my mind wrapped around that. And then there's unbelieving doubt that the Bible puts down. Unbelieving doubt is, is skeptical. Have you ever been in in some kind of a, a any kind of a group, and uh, maybe it's a small group, or uh, maybe you've seen something, uh, a video or something on the internet, and uh, someone asks a question, and you know it's a skeptical question. It's not a true question. It's, it's not a true, heart-open, can you, can you help me process this? It's a skeptical question on trying to catch somebody or embarrass the person or try to prove them wrong. That's unbelieving doubt. And we see that a lot. And, and, and we, we see people that will ask questions just to tri- trip people up. That's not believing doubt. That's unbelieving doubt. And the Bible puts that kind of doubt down okay? The Bible also puts down a type of doubt that is demand certainty. Demand certainty. We live by faith. And it sounds all super duper spiritual to be able to say that I'm certain about this. But when it comes right down to it, the only thing I'm certain about is what I see. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are God is pleased that we take His word, that we believe Him, just like a parent is pleased. If you're a parent and you have a child, maybe especially a young child, seven or eight years old, and and you tell them that uh, about something that they can't fully understand. There's just no way that their seven, eight, nine-year-old head can fully get around this, and so. They believe you, but they believe you not because they have certainty or they can get their mind wrapped around it. They believe you because you're their father or you're their mother. And that greatly pleases you. That they have enough faith and they have enough trust in you to place that faith and place that trust even though they can't fully grasp that. How much of God's word are things and how much of God's economy and the way God operates are stuff that, stuff that we really can't Grass. Some, some old preacher said, this is God's baby talk to us. And, and I, 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 I flatter myself to somehow think that I can understand God's governance of the universe. I flatter myself to try to be able to think that I can understand the way God thinks about all of uh, creation and all of his ways. Uh, am I certain? Well, I'm certain enough that I'm casting my eternity on it. I'm certain enough that you can uh, pull a gun to my head and go ahead and pull the trigger. I will not recant. But am I 100% certain? Um, I'm not because I don't see it. I walk by faith, not by sight. The only way we please God, Hebrews 11:6, maybe, don't quote me on that. The only way we please God is by faith. And the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty the opposite of faith is not doubt let me tell you I've never done this but if I've ever be stupid enough to put a parachute on and to jump out of an airplane alright let me tell you if I'd ever be stupid enough to do that I would um, if I do it I, I, I do it um, um, with some faith that this parachute will open but I'm not. I do it with some doubt too, <laughs> knowing it's it's probably going to open 999,000 times. Uh, what kind of number am I saying there? 999,000 9, times out of a thousand. Out, okay, I'm going to stop with right that. <laughs> I used to teach math, you know. Um, <laughs> 99,999 times out of 100,000. It's going to open. There would be some doubt. Even though I would exercise faith by going, I'm not a thinking person. I'm not a thinking person. If there's not a doubt, some doubt mixed in with that. I watched some man on the street video. No, I think it was somebody that went to... a. um, uh, a college campus and was doing some apologetic work on a college campus and, and uh, one girl came to me and says I would not believe in the resurrection unless I have certain proof of that well she's not going to get that there's evidence there's evidence but if one demands certainty you're really not a candidate for being a Christian because this is a faith walk this is a faith walk there are great great reasons to believe there are unbelievably good reasons to believe, but this is a walk by faith. Unbelieving doubt is skeptical, it demands certainty, and was, will not search God's word for the answers. To some of our doubt, the answers it, are here in God's word. To some of them, they aren't here. But because of an unbelief in God's word, they, will not, they don't take this serious enough. They will not search God's word, or if they do find something in God's word, they won't give it credibility enough To be able to say that it's authoritative on all of that so uh, for lack of a better word I've called that unbelieving doubt now believing doubt is part of the faith journey believing doubt is part of the faith journey when you bring your mind to the faith but when you just don't swallow what the preacher says when you bring your mind to the faith, and I, I don't really understand it, but that's what Mark said, so I guess I'll take it. No, you bring your mind to the faith, and you wrestle with the doubts, and you work through the doubts, and you search for answers to your, to your doubts, and if you can't find those answers, you talk to someone that does. I had someone come into me this week with some questions about some things, and I was able to answer some, wasn't able to answer all of them, but um, they, they went to someone with their doubt, believing doubt is a part of the faith journey because you are a person that God has given you the 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 best gift that he's ever given you at least in your human body and that would be your brain to think through some things believing doubt is a part of the faith journey believing doubt leads to prayer unbelieving doubt won't lead to prayer because unbelieving doubt is skeptical it won't search God for the answers does not have an understanding about this person God but believing doubt leads to prayer oh God I cannot figure this out it doesn't make any sense to me can you give me light on this subject that's believing doubt God man that's just it's hard for me you know it's hard for me to understand six days and it's hard for me to understand how you could speak this word into existence God I know what your word says I, I believe your word but God i got to be honest I don't I really I, I've got some doubt and don't know how those things work out would you clear that up for me or at least would you give me enough faith to be accepted to accept it as truth Billy Graham testifies that early in his ministry he, he had a lot of questions about God's word And he says he was in California and went up into a mountain in California and battled it out with God. And he says, "I'm accepting this as your word. I don't understand it all. I can't teach it all. I can't explain it all. But I'm going to accept it as your God, as your word. God help me. Teach it. God help me to preach it." And he did that early in his ministry, and God honored him through all of that. Believing doubt takes you to God. Believing doubt leads to prayer do you remember the story that shows up in mark chapter nine and and there was a father who had a son who had some seizures or something was going wrong with him and the father said to jesus if you can do anything about this would you help my boy and jesus replied in mark 9 23 if you can jesus said everything is possible for those who believe immediately the boy's father exclaimed i do believe but help my unbelief that's believing doubt I do believe, but help those pockets of unbelief in my life. You go to God, believing doubt goes to God with those doubts. I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. Was Jesus on the cross? Matthew 27 with Jesus on the cross was he doubting when he says my God why have you forsaken me?" my God if, if, if I go to the hospital and visit someone that body is ravaged with cancer and and they would look at me and say, why has God forsaken me? All of us would probably think that's doubt, but it's kind of similar to what Jesus said. So we're talking about doubt today, and, and I think there's a biblical distinction between unbelieving doubt and believing doubt. We've said there's a battle in, the, in our minds, and it's all in your head, and it's all in my head. It's all in our heads, and and we've said that the the devil will take and he will lie to us, and that's from John 8:44. In John 8:44, Jesus says says you belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. His major weapon. I used to say his only weapon. But as we'll talk about next week, it's his predominant weapon. But there's some other things. His major weapon is that he lies to us. He's the father of lies. By the way, every time I read that, you know, some people say we're all children of God. Well, Jesus doubts that right there because he's talking to some unbelievers. Said, "You're, you're, you're of your father, the devil." Everybody said, "Well, well, everybody's a child of God. Everybody's a child of God." No, you're a child of God when you get adopted by faith into the family. Jesus speaks to some people here. Said, "You're of your father, the devil." Huh. So we have got this battle going on in their heads between the truth of God and and, and the lies that the devil will tell us. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated that this battle that we have, this battle that we have, that is 2023 kind of battle, is also a Genesis chapter 3 kind of battle. This is no new thing. And his tactics have not really changed. And in Genesis 3, chapter 1, one, uh, excuse me, Genesis 3, verse 1, through verse 5, we've talked about creation in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And now in chapter 3, cha- uh, verse 1, we says Now the serpent was more crafty. Other translations say cunning. Other, tra- other translations will say subtle. It's a fascinating word. Can I tell you something? This sounds really bad to say, especially for a preacher. But you know what a good lie is? It has some element of truth to it. Nobody believes an outlandish lie. They're just too far-fetched to believe. But the lies that we are tempted to believe have a measure of truth to them. In in chapter 3, verse 1 says, the serpent is crafty, cunning, subtle, He can't get us to believe weird stuff, but he'll throw in some untruth with some truth just enough to compromise it all. He's more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, knowing right from wrong. Uh, The enemy tempts us, Satan tempts us, the devil tempts us with lies that may make us doubt. Lies that tempt you to doubt. Now, As I was writing this message, I got done with the message. And my, my, my major points were lies that make you doubt or lies that, and you'll find out the rest. Then I got to the end of that and I said, well, that's not good theology. I gotta change that. The devil doesn't make us do anything. No matter what Flip Wilson said, okay? He doesn't make us do anything. He does not have that power, but he can tempt us, and he can lie to us. And our choice is to believe God or believe him. Our choice is to believe God or believe him. So so I would have been theologically wrong to say lies that make you doubt. He can't make me doubt, but he can tempt me. He can tempt me. Lies that tempt you to doubt. In, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? I don't know what kind of voice the serpent had, but I imagine it was some kind of little weaselly voice, you know. <laughs> Did God really say? He's tempting him to doubt God's word, what God spoke to Eve. He's he's tempted God? Really? Say. He's tempting him not to believe or casting doubt on what God has said. It isn't that what he does today? And thus, modern, sophisticated, enlightened, two thousand and twenty-three folks. Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Knowing what we know today about everything, and is that really what it? means and we hear that lie everywhere and the lie is basically heard in an effort for you to justify sin not every time but most times it's 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 in some way told as a justification for sin did god really Is that really what he meant after all you know this was written thousands of years i mean it couldn't be relevant to 2023 sophisticated enlightened man did god that's not what he meant is that really what he said you hear it all you hear it everywhere And, and we have progressive Christians that will somehow manipulate his word and twist his word and say, well, you know, I know it says that, but that's not really what he meant. That, you know, it's not really what he meant. And, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll twist the, the Hebrew language, or they'll twist the Greek language, or, you know, a, a smart person can make the Bible say about anything they want to say. And, and with instead of just saying, well, you know, I'm not very smart, but that's what says. Did God really mean that? We see it happen all the time. That somehow in 2023, we're, we're too sophisticated to believe that anymore. Even though our church fathers... Back through history, we have all believed it that way. Somehow, we today have more information and are more enlightened than all those folks were. Doesn't that sound a little arrogant? As Wesleyans, John Wesley had something called the quadrilateral, that, a way that he would understand Scripture. And first of all, it's what it says. But then how do you interpret it? And one of his ways for interpreting that was tradition. Now, tradition's not always right. But, man, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Christian scholarship. And people have believed something one way. And all of a sudden now in 2023, we are too sophisticated to believe that anymore. Did God really say lies that tempt you to doubt? This would be unbelieving doubt, casting doubt upon the Word of God. Also lies that tempts you to doubt God's goodness lies that tempt you to doubt God's goodness so so the lie came did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden All right, twisting God's word there as well because the serpent knew what God said and God said you can't eat from any tree except you can eat from any tree except this one in the middle so he tempts God's word a little bit and says, uh, twisted and said, you must not eat from any tree? That's not what God said. He's, he's, he's casting dispersions on the character of God. God's not going to let you have any of these good fruit from any of these trees here. Serpent knew what God said and God said, you can have tr- fruit from all these trees that don't have this one in the middle. So he twists God's word and said, God's, God's not going to let you eat all these apples and Oranges and pears. And he's casting spurs on goodness of God. God's holding out on you. God's keeping the good things in life. God's just a cosmic killjoy. And he's keeping you from all the good things in life that really allows you to have fun and really enjoy life. 1 Timothy something. The address of the verse doesn't come to my mind, but it says, Paul writes that God has given you all things to richly enjoy. And when he does prohibit, when he does prohibit, he prohibits out of his goodness. Hey, fathers, mothers, Why do you say no to your kids? Because you're just an old grump? You just don't want your kids to enjoy anything in life? Or do you say no because you love your kids? Every now and then I'll say to Levi or say to Christopher, before I get ready to tell them something I know they're not gonna like, I'll say um, I love you enough to tell you the truth I love you enough to tell you the truth and any loving parent if they tell the truth to their child at times that truth will be don't go there well why not and if they're not mature enough to to understand that at a very young age, it just, it's just because I said so. Now, they'll get older, and you'll be able to give a better answer to that. And that's why you please with them when they act in faith to believe you on that, just because I said so. Because you believe that your dad is a good dad, and your mom is a good mom. And if they prohibit some things, it's out of their goodness that they do that. Seven, eight years ago, I don't know how long ago, I preached a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And I titled it, The the Tender Commandments. From the heart of a loving God. And yeah, it's it's, thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and you shall have only. And and sure, there's prohibitions in there and commandments in there. But they're out of his heart. And he says, child, child. I know what's at the end of that road for you. Don't go there. Now, that's a loving father. That's our good God. He's not holding out on us. We all thought that at some time. When we were young, we all kind of thought that. Well, why can't I do that? Why won't mom and dad let me do that? And, but, but as we get older and as we mature and as we live and as we reap some consequences from our poor decisions, we understand that that no or that commandment was for our own good. Did God, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? Did God really say that you can't enjoy all this fruit? No. What he said is you can have all of these trees. How many were there? I have no clue all of these fruit from any of these trees will leave this one alone. Leave that one alone. There is ample provision given there. But, But leave this one alone. And the enemy comes along and says, you can't eat any of this stuff? Oh man, how can he be good if you've heard it all? It's a battle that's in your mind and it's between the truth of God's word and the temptations of the evil one and the battle is going on and the result, he wants to get you not to believe what God says and to believe him. That's the essence of sin. <clears throat> also, he tells lies that tempt you to doubt God's judgment. Because he says in Genesis 3, 4, after after Eve says, you know, we we can't eat from this tree in the middle or we will die. And then the the enemy comes along and says, God's not going to follow through on that. You will not certainly die. What kind of a God would he be if he exercised judgment? So the lie there is to tempt us that God is not a God of judgment. That God will not follow through on what he said. That, 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 that we will not reap from what we've sown. That, what kind of parent would I be if I tell my boy that you can't do that and then he does it and I don't do anything about it? That there's no consequences. There's no discipline. You wouldn't call me a good parent. But somehow we want our heavenly parent to not be a parent that exercises judgment you will not certainly die God won't follow through with that and as we read the story God was talking about spiritual death they're banished from the garden banished from God's presence he's a God of judgment If he is a morally perfect being, how could he not be a just God? Do we want a God that says one thing but won't do it? Do we want a God that will slip you in the back door of heaven and give you a wink to your sin? Is that a morally perfect human being? Excuse me, a morally perfect God? We, we've talked before. I mean, as, as a Christian, the, the, the judgment that I will experience and the, all of us will experience, to those of us that are placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is not a heaven or hell type of judgment, but it's a judgment on the type of life we have lived. The Bible speaks of rewards that can be gained or can be lost. Jesus said you'll give account for every word that you've spoken why because he's just we, we we would call for the head of any judge in Greene County that was getting bought off or that was not following the law we we would call for his head we should say he should be stricken from the bench if he doesn't if he's not just if it does not carry through on whatever judgment needs to happen, if the person is found guilty, well, God says we've been found guilty, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And if, friends, if he's not friends, if he's not a just God, he's not worthy of our worship. He's not. Because there's one being in this world that's totally just and totally perfect and totally true and totally honest. And that being is who we worship. And he's worthy of our worship. People quote John 3.16, as a great loving verse, for God so loved the world, you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever shall believe in him Will not perish. The most loving verse in Scripture has judgment in it. Will not perish. That most loving verse has d- decision in it. Whosoever will believe. The same thing as saying, if you will believe. In two verses following, that verse that even unbelievers know, and that verse that people will wrap their arms around two verses below that is John 3:18 whoever believes in him that's Christ is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already two verses below John 3:16 whoever does not believe is condemned already you will not certainly die Why? God's too good. God's too holy. God's too loving for that. If there's no condemnation, why do we have one of, the, one of the greatest verses in all in Scripture? And why does Paul says in Romans 8 1 there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? There's no purpose for that verse if there was not condemnation, if there was not judgment. If God will not follow through, God won't follow through with what he said. It's what the lie is. Well, one thing I know is Hebrews 9.27 said it's appointed once for a man to die and then the Judgment. And I can rationalize that. I thought, oh, God really didn't mean. Did he really say, you know, I can rationalize that or I can just be plain old Mark Atherton that's stupid enough to take, take his word for it. The last thing I want to say before I let you go. The enemy tells us lies that tempt us to doubt God's otherness. <clears throat> Some of you may not have... Eh, heard that phrase before, it was told to me many years ago and I liked it, it helped me understand His holiness. I think it's, it's better than holiness, it's not, not that I shouldn't use holiness but what's God's holiness mean? It means He's other, He's distinct, He's, He ain't like us, He's other. His holiness is the only attribute of God that's lifted to the third degree in Scripture. Isaiah 6, God is holy, holy, holy. Nowhere does it say God is loving, loving, loving. Of course he is. Nowhere does it say God is just, just, just. Of course he is. But it says God is other, other, other. And in Genesis 3, it's part of that temptation that, that the evil one puts on you in Genesis 3-5 he says you won't surely die for God knows that when you eat from it the, t- the tree your eyes will be open and you will be like God and then you'll know good from evil my friends I wonder is that the essence of sin we want to be the, our own authorities in life and we will not accept his authority and let God be God let the other one be the other one and we want to make choices of our own and we want to decide what's right and what's wrong and she bought it the scriptures say and she took the fruit and she gave it to her husband who the scriptures say was with her why didn't he say anything why didn't he speak up the silence of Adam Larry Crabb wrote a book The silence of Adam. What was the man? And the essence of sin is is I want to be the authority so I decide what's right and wrong. Not God. Essence of sin. I decide what's right or wrong. You will be like God. And you'll know right from wrong, good from evil. Your eyes will be opened. And you can make your own determinations in life. You can make your own decisions in life. You can be the authority of your own life. And that's what the world wants. That's what sinful man wants. So how do we, how do we resist the lies of sin? The devil. Well, first of all, we have to know the lies, and I've taken a good bit of time to tell you what some of those are. But also we have to know that, as I've just said, that God is God. And what he said is word of God. He is the authority. He is the final arbitrator of truth. I'm not the final arbitrator of truth. He is the arbitrator. Now, I have a choice on whether I want to believe that or not. Have, you've heard the old expression, God said it. Uh, I believe it, and that settles it. The truth of that is that, that God said it, and that settles it. The believe it is important because the believe it makes it applicable in my life. But even if, I, even if I don't believe it, it's still true. Even if I don't believe it, it's still true. Why? Because he's other. He's God. I'm not the final arbiter of truth. So, how do I resist the, di- uh, the lies of the devil? God is God, and I'm just—I'm the creature. I'm the—I'm the creature. I'm not the creator, and I'm, I'm in a subordinate position here. But sinful man doesn't like to be in a subordinate position. I know. i, I, I we, we, we don't want to. We want to make our own decisions. That's—that's—that's that's, that's our, our problem. I resist the lies of the devil. God is God, but also God is good. His, his commandments, his prohibitions are good for me. They're good for me. And I must come to a place in life I believe that. And when I come to that place in life, oh, that's a major decision for me. That God's way is the best way. How do you resist the lies of the devil? God is God. God is good. And then finally, what we've already said. There's penalty. A just God has to give penalty. A just God has to penalize disobedience. There has to be judgment. And I know that. You will not, hear his little Weasley voice, you will not certainly die. But I'm a good news preacher. Even though God is just, he's made a way for a sinful man to be able to stand in his presence. <laughs> what a horrible message it would be if I, were, if, if I didn't say that and just said, okay, let's go home. There are a four lies of the devil. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's made a way. He sent his son who lived the only sinless life, the only one who didn't deserve to die, died, and I'm I'm asked to believe that his death was sufficient for my sins. I'm asked to believe that. And the devil come along. Well, how can one man die for everybody's sin? And then I go back to God is God. It's what it's it's what he says. How can one How can one man's death 2000 years ago? <laughs> There's penalty. There's judgment but there's a way that's been made for those who will believe and that's why I can be a good news preacher and it's the most marvelous gift that one could ever give and my question to any and all of you is have you received it? I'm not asking you if you're raised in church I'm not asking if you teach Sunday school I don't care about it. Have you received this gift? Have you accepted God's payment for your sin? Have you accepted that? Or somehow are you trying to be good enough to work it off? I just wonder how many people in churches all over America today are good enough Christians. They're trying to be good enough. And somehow they think at the end of the way, the scales will be weighed and hopefully my goodness outweighs my badness. Even though I hope we as preachers preach God's word and says that has nothing to do with the gospel. A son, we preach this, we preach this at Christmas, a son has been given. your choice right now is to believe what God says about his son and who that gift is and what that gift was and came for you. Are you to believe the lies of the devil that will say, is that really what it means? Our servers are coming to the table and every, every Sunday we, we finish at the, we finish at, uh, the table because I, that means I discipline myself to make every message come to good news at the end or, or it's a pretty awkward segue to the table. And I don't understand totally how one man's death and how blood and body and can be... I'm not sure I understand that, but you know what? I've, it's just what it says, friends. And I'm taking him at his word. And I want you to as well. Father, Father, we're all in a daily battle. Your truth enemies lies and so father I pray that you would help us fight this battle and one way we fight this battle is through the power of the blood of your son Jesus Christ who died for us father I pray there's not a single person in this auditorium this morning that will leave this place without accepting your gift repenting of our sins having a desire not to live that life anymore and believing the gospel that your son came for us as payment for our sin. I pray that, that right now in some miracle that only happens by your spirit and by your grace that you'll open people's hearts and guide them into that truth. I pray for people that are watching on the internet right now that you'll do that even in their homes, that they will drop any good enough theology And we'll say the only hope they have is in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Help us to believe that this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.